0: The Mishnais continue to discuss Shavuos Midriabonon, where in certain situations somebody is able to make a Shavuo and collect money. Midriabonon, we only find Shavuos in order to exempt somebody from paying someone else money. But in certain situations, Midriabonon, the person who is claiming the money, can be the one to swear, and if he swears, he is able to collect the money from the other person in Bastin. Now, one of the most basic rules for when somebody claims money from another person, in whose favor do we rule? The rule is, The one who's trying to collect money needs to prove that he's entitled to that money, or otherwise he cannot collect the money. What happens to Omar if somebody says to a shopkeeper, Give me a dinar's worth of produce. the And the shopkeeper gives him the produce. And then Omar loy, the shopkeeper, says to the buyer, a Give me the dinner, give me the money. Or my lawyer, and he claims to him, I already gave you the money. on And you put it into your till, with all of the rest of your money. So you can't claim money from me again, I already paid you. So they are arguing as to whether the buyer has paid money yet or not. So the claim is not on the produce. They both agree that he sold the produce to the other person. The discussion between them is regarding the money. So essentially, the shopkeeper is claiming the money from the buyer. Now, in a case where the buyer had already taken the produce into his house, into his own possession, into his own property, then we would apply the regular rule of Hamitzah Me'chaveh Olav Haraya, that the buyer has produce with him, and the money is with him, and the shopkeeper is making a claim from him, so he needs to prove his case, or otherwise he cannot claim any produce or any money from him. However, we're talking about a case where he hadn't yet taken the produce into his house. Now, at the same time, the produce was no longer in the shopkeeper's shop. Rather, they piled it up in a public domain... And so the produce is neither in the possession of the shopkeeper nor the buyer. The Misha says, what is the law? The buyer can swear that he has already paid him, and he wouldn't need to pay him the money, and he can keep the produce. Since at the end of the day, the claim is being made from him. And not only that, they both agree that the sale took place. Even the shopkeeper admits, he's just claiming that he hadn't yet paid him. So Bon, the buyer, can swear that he paid him already, and he'll be able to keep the produce and keep the money. He wouldn't need to pay him again. Now, what happens if it's the opposite? Not as a dinar. The buyer gave him the coin. He gave him the money. And he then t- says, "Can I have the produce, please?" And the shopkeeper claims to him, "I already gave you the produce, and you brought it home to your house." we're talking about a case where once again the produce is not situated in the shopkeeper's shop; rather, it's outside in the public domain, and the shopkeeper claims that he's piled it up there for somebody else to prepare the next sale. Whereas the buyer claims that that produce was designated for him. That was the produce which they agreed about that he would sell him. And that's why I gave him the money. So there's a discussion now regarding the produce, whether this produce should go to the buyer or if it belongs to the shopkeeper. So once again, since it's not in the possession of either of them, we wouldn't apply the rule of hamitz mechavei of harayah. However, that still does define who is the one who has the stronger claim. Since at the end of the day, the produce is that which is being claimed from the shopkeeper, so he is the one who is able to swear and therefore keep the produce, but he has to swear mejabon on yeshva hachen The shopkeeper needs to swear that he is telling the truth, and then he can keep it. Rabbi Yehuda says, Whoever has the produce in his possession, he has the upper hand. And Rabbi Yehuda is trying to say that in this last case, as soon as the produce is in the public domain, we view it as being in the possession of the buyer. Since it was quite uncommon for the shopkeeper to start putting his produce outside in the public domain unless he had already made a sale, he wouldn't generally do this just to prepare for a future sale. We therefore trust the buyer that he is telling the truth and therefore, he is the one who would swear and take the produce. Right, continues the Mishnah with two similar cases. I'm on a shulchani, if somebody says to a money changer, give me small copper coins, the worth of a dinar. So he's effectively paying a dinar, that's the money in this case. And in return for that, he's receiving smaller coins as change so it's, ident- it's identical to the first case we had in the Mishnah. Because the first case is Loi. the money changer gave him the small copper coins, that's like giving over the item. And Ormaloi, tell us he claims the money, give me the dinar. Ormaloi, and he claims the, the buyer, the person who's trying to change the money, claims the sativloch. on the poly, I already gave you the dinar, and you put it into your till with the rest of your money, says the Mishan, the one who's trying to change his money is the one who can swear. that he paid the money already? Since over here, the discussion is the money. That is what is being claimed. So although we don't apply the rule of Mechavel of Haraya, because once again, we're talking about a case where the money was placed in the public domain, the copper coins were placed in the public domain. Nevertheless, that still defines who has the stronger claim, who is claiming something from the other person. So since it's the money which is being claimed, The owner of the money, the one who's trying to change, to change his money, he's the one who swears and wouldn't need to pay the dinar. What happens if it's the opposite? Not unless a dinar, he gave him the dinar, amalai. And then he tells the money changer, tell me, Samois, give me the smaller coins, amalai. The money changer tells him, Satimlach, I already gave you the smaller coins, and you threw them into your pocket, into your wallet with the rest of your money. So here, what is the claim being made on? the item which is being bought, the smaller coins. So shulchani, the money changer, has the right to swear and not to give the smaller coins as long as he swears. The once again, Huda, Huda says, It is not common for a money changer to place the isar, the smaller coins, in a public domain, because once again that's the case which we're talking about, until he takes his dinner. In exactly the same way as Abu Hurd argued in the in the first part of the Mishnah, and he said that it's not common for the person selling something to start piling it up in a public domain, unless the sale has already been made, so to over here, and therefore we don't trust the money changer, so we would always give the rights to the one who's changing his money to swear in a situation where the money has already been placed in the public domain, the smaller coins, which is, if somebody has a document saying that he has owed money for a particular loan, then he doesn't need any proof, any any oaths, any witnesses, that itself is the biggest proof that he has the document saying that he is owed the money, because in general, once he is repaid the money, the lender would take the document from him to make sure that he doesn't claim it again. That having been said, in certain cases, even somebody who has the document would need to make a Shavua before collecting the money. Just like the Chachom said in Maseches Ksubas in the ninth perech, and now the Mishnah is going to quote a number of cases which are mentioned in the Mishnah over there, Firstly, Apigema's Kasubasa, a woman who collects part of her Kasuba. The Kasuba is a document written at the time of marriage, which entitles the woman to collect a certain amount of money upon being divorced or widowed. Under certain situations, she can even claim that money beforehand. Either way, if she comes to Bastin with a Kasuba document, and her husband claims that he has already paid her all of the money, But she has the document, so the document is better proof. However, she admits that part of the Kusuba document has been paid. Part of the money which she is entitled to has already been paid by the husband, but not all of it. In that case, since she does admit to part of it being paid, she cannot collect the rest of the money without making a Shavua, regarding how much she has not yet received. And even though we do a right, so she does not need to make a Shavua because she has the document, Nevertheless, Major we were concerned that when a woman receives part of the money of her kasuba, she's generally not so particular to see how much exactly she's receiving, how much left of the kasuba she's got, but we need to make sure that she knows, so that when it comes to collecting the rest of it, we know the facts. So in order to make sure that she will take good note of how much left of the kasuba she has yet to receive, Major said that when she comes to collecting the rest of the kasuba, she will need to make a shavua as to how much left she is meant to receive and that way she'll certainly make sure to take note of how much she's entitled to all right the next case is where the husband claims that he's paid her back the entire kasubah all of the money that she's entitled to and she denies all of it however the there's one witness who testifies that she has been paid back since she has the document with her so she has the upper hand and therefore she's the one who's able to make a shavua and collect the money but she can only collect it if she makes a shavua Third case, if she is collecting the kasubah min chosim shubodim from property which had been sold on to somebody else, since her husband owes her money, the law is that even if, he's, if he doesn't have any money left and he sold his land to someone else, she has the right to go and collect her, the amount of money which she's entitled to from that land. However, since somebody else is losing out by her collecting it from them, they've already bought it, she would need to make a Shavua before collecting the Kusuba from there. When she is collecting the Kusuba from the property of her husband's orphans who inherited him, since they themselves are not the ones who need to give her the money. It's just that the inheritance isn't strong enough to take away her claim on the money. So she's able to collect it, but later make a Shavua, she can only collect the kasuba if she makes a Shavua that she has not yet received it. And finally, Van Fraz should I One who collects the Kasuba not in front of the husband. If, let's say, the husband has gone away and he is in a distant country and she wants to collect part of the money which she's entitled to already now. It could be they're not yet divorced, but she wants to collect it now. She's able to, but since if her husband was here and he denies the entire claim which she's making... The law is, even though we didn't bring this example in the Mishnah, the law is that any time somebody has claimed off money and he denies the entire claim, he can force the other person to make a shavuah before collecting the money. Since if he was here, he could do that and she would be forced to make a shavua, the fact that he's not here doesn't change that. And the basin, instead of the husband himself, the basin on behalf of the husband forced her to make the shavua, and later part of a she cannot collect the Kasubah without making a shavua first. So all of these are examples listed in the Mishnah in Kasubas. So the Mishnah is saying, just like we all of these examples in Kasubas, so too the The same applies to orphans of a borrower and a lender, if let's say Ruven lent money to Shimon. So Shimon now owes money to Ruven to pay back the loan. And both Ruven and Shimon died, and Shimon's orphans owe money to Ruven Excuse me, to Ruven's orphans. So Ruven's orphans can only their Ruven's inheritors can only collect the money from Shimon's inheritors, they can only collect the money if they make a Shivah that they are entitled to it. Now, what exactly is the Shavuot which they make? They're not the ones who lent the money out. The answer is, they make a abba. We swear that our father didn't give us any instructions when he died that he'd already been paid back for this loan. We're talking about a case where they have the document, and the father didn't tell them otherwise that the document has really already been paid back. And that our father didn't tell us at a different time, not at the time of his death, that the loan has already been paid back. And we didn't find any receipt among our father's documents saying that this loan has been paid back. If they swear all of that, then we assume that indeed it hasn't been paid back and they're able to collect the loan from the inheritance of Shimon. Rabbi Yochim ben says, Even if a son was born after the father Reuven died... Even then, he still inherits Ruvain, so he's entitled to whatever Ruvain was entitled to. He's entitled to collect the loan, but obviously he's not able to swear that his father didn't tell him anything about whether the document was repaid yet. So, if he can't make the Shavua, maybe he's not able to collect the money either. Says the Mishnah, no, he is able to make the Shavua and take the money because he can still make a Shavua about the third thing. They didn't find any document indicating that the loan has already been repaid. So, he can make that Shavua and then collect the money. adds, If there are witnesses that the father said at the time that he died, This document, this loan, has not yet been repaid. Not only did he not tell them that it has been repaid, but he explicitly says that this loan has not yet been repaid. And there are witnesses who say this. In such a case, who know be Shavua, the son, and this is really going back on the entire Mishnah, the sons who are inheriting him don't need to make a Shavua because they have much better than that. They have witnesses, pretty much, for that which they are swearing about. However, the Tanakama actually ogs on him, Shemingam Liel. And according to the Tanakama, the Chachomem, this is not good enough because we suspect that there were other people around when he died. I was mean, we talking about when there are other witnesses and they're only valid witnesses if they're not related, so there are other people around, we suspect that perhaps at the time that he was dying, he wanted to impress the other people and sort of show them that he's leaving behind a big inheritance for his sons. Maybe he was actually lying. So the fact that he told, that he said that in front of other people is not a proof that indeed he's entitled to the loan and therefore he would still require the sons to swear that they indeed do not have any indication of the loan being repaid before they can get the money. The following people can be forced to make a Shavua even without a definite claim against them. This is very unusual. We haven't found this yet. Where somebody is obligated to make a Shavua by Beistin and there's no definite claim against him. There's nobody who's claiming that you definitely owe me such an amount of money. Nevertheless, they'll still, be like, they'll still need to swear. Who are these people? Shutfin Partners, people who rent a field with an arrangement that a percentage of the crop will go to the owner of the field as the rent. Or people who take care of somebody else's property. For example, orphans who are young. They need somebody else to take care of the property until they grow up. Or a woman who take care, who takes care of her husband's financial accounts. In the house, Uven Habayes, one of the members of a household, if, let's say, somebody dies and he leaves behind a few children, and one of them deals with the inheritance and all of the possessions and accounts which were left behind, if the other brothers in that case, or in all of these cases, if the other partner, whatever it may be, claims from the other person and that I want you to swear that you haven't taken any money, which is not a title to you, or oh my lord he says to him, what's your claim against me? You think that I took something? And he says, no, I would say you should show I just want you to swear to me that you haven't taken anything which is not entitled to you. In general, this means nothing. You can only make somebody else swear if you come with a definite claim that he owes you money. However, says the Mishnah, he is indeed liable to swear. The reason being that these people, we are afraid, might rationalize to themselves why they're able to take some money which is not entitled to them. They'll say, since I'm the one dealing with the inheritance, so really I deserve a bit more of the inheritance, so I'm going to take it and he doesn't view it as being wrong. So because of that, we say that he is liable to make a shavuot to make sure that he doesn't take anything which is not entitled to him. Cholku wa from what happens if the partners or the person renting the field with this arrangement of giving a percentage of the crop to the owner, what happens if they split up? He stopped renting it, they stopped being partners. So at the time of the split, he's able to make him make a shavuot, and he can make him swear about everything that happened until then throughout the partnership. However, after that, if he comes to make him swear, in he's no longer able to make him swear, since they're no longer partners, so this law, the special ability which he has to make the other one swear, no longer exists. He loses that right. That having been said, says the Mishnah, if for whatever reason one of the partners or the other person in their arrangement, for a different reason, was made to make a shavua, a different claim was made against him by this person. Then, we roll onto him all of it, meaning this is a rule of Gilgal Shavua, a concept that if somebody becomes obligated to swear to another person regarding one claim, then he can be forced to make a Shavua regarding a different claim, even if the different claim is not enough in itself to force him to make a Shavua. But since he's already making a Shavua about a different claim, the second claim, he can also be forced to make a Shavua regarding it. Alright, right, and the Peric ends off, the Hashaviyah's Mishaviyah's Shavuah, Schmitter cancels out the obligation of making a Shavuah regarding a loan. Just like when the Schmitter year comes, once every seven years, any loan, any debt which somebody owes another person is cancelled out. He no longer needs to pay that money. On the same note, the Shavuah, regarding whether he owed him the money or not, would be cancelled, even in a case where the claim for the money was made before the debt was cancelled by Shmittah. So in such a case, shmittah would not actually cancel the real debt. However, it would cancel and exempt the person involved from making a shavuur regarding it. And this is learned from Psukim regarding Shmittah. Aleph. The final paragraph of discusses one of the three main types of oaths which are made in the base den which the base den can force somebody to make and that is Shuaz Shamrim, an oath made by somebody who's guarding and taking care of somebody else's property to say that he's not responsible to pay for the loss of that item and the introduces our boss Shomrim Hain, there are four different types of Shamrim. people who are taking care of somebody else's property and really they're split into three different categories as we're going to see And when we're coming to define the level of liability of a shomer, we need to take into account how much the owner of the item and how much the guard is benefiting from this arrangement. So, for example, if the shomer is somebody who's able to use the item, that means he's gaining more. If the shomer is being paid to guard it, he's gaining more. However, if he's not being paid and he's guarding it and he's not using it, So those are two things which would define that the person who's gaining more from the arrangement is the owner of the item. He doesn't need to pay, and the other person's doing a favour for him to guard his item. So the main rule is that the more... A guard is on the benefiting side of the arrangement, so the more he's going to be liable if something happens to the item. So who are those, these Arabes? showing who are the four types of guards from a chinam? Somebody who is guarding it for free, so he can't use it, and he's not being paid to guard it. So he's going to have the smallest level of liability. On the other extreme, we have the Hashoyal, a borrower. He is able to use the item, and he doesn't even need to pay to use it. So he's benefiting the most, so his level of liability is going to be the largest. And then we have the last two, who are in the same category, really. And they're in the middle. Neusay Sakhar, who's also known as a Sherme Sakhar. That's somebody who is guarding it. So he's not able to use it on the one hand. So that's not a benefit for him. On the other hand, he's being paid to guard it. So he's got one of the two benefits. And Van Soicher, a renter, he's able to use it, but he needs to pay in order to use it. So he's also got one of the two benefits. And these three categories are split into three levels of liability. Shemachinom, <laughs> who is a guard and is not being paid to guard it, he's able to swear about anything that happens. As long as he wasn't negligent and he guarded it properly, if it gets lost or something, something happens to the item, he can swear that he guarded it properly and he'll be exempt from paying for the item. Shayel, a borrower, he had the most benefit. So, hu m'shalom is he will need to pay for anything, even if something happened to the item out of his control. And he guarded it perfectly. He will still be liable to replace the item if something happens to it. And this is somebody who is being paid to guard it. And they renter they have the, li- the middle level of liability. They can swear that they guarded it properly and be exempt from paying in a case where the animal which they are guarding broke a limb, or was captured forcibly, or died. He's not responsible for those things. They're not in his control. But, when shaman is they would be obligated to pay in a case where the item gets lost or stolen, because here they could have guarded it on a very high level and stopped this happening. So if this does happen, they'll be liable to pay for it. However, if something happens out of their control, they would not be liable, so that's the, le- the middle level of liability, which Hashem Essocha and Essoycher have.